I wasn't feeling good. I mean, I was just very achy. I had this pain in my um, left shoulder, like somebody was like stabbing me with like just something very hard, like just banging on me, my head. I, I was like literally in a little ball for like three days. I was in so much pain. And finally I was like, you have to take me to the hospital. I'm checking on my wife every half hour middle of the night, you know, because you're kind of like, all right, she's sleeping with a little baby, but you don't know if she's going to wake up, right? So you kind of go up and you pull her, make sure that her, that she's still alive and waking her up and say, take some more medicine now to get ahead of the pain. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And so we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Al and Candace. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Pleasure to be here, guys. Pleasure to be here. And so we are doing this remotely because we are all still sheltered in place. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Candace and, and Al, you guys have a, an amazing story that's very relatable to kind of what we're going through today. So before we get to your story, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? What do you do for a living? And how long have you been together? Uh, so I am a commercial real estate practitioner by trade. Uh, I am 47 years old. I'm a Virgo. I was born in September, obviously, 1972. I live in the North Shore of Chicago. Uh, primarily, I'm from a family of eight. My father had, um, I think, 26 grandchildren, and I think someplace like 16 great-great-grandchildren. My wife and I met in... Uh, Los Angeles, California, originally Chicago, but she didn't have much time of day for me. And uh, we re-met about a year and a half later in uh, Beverly Hills, California. And we had mutual friends. We were always in the entertainment business for a while. She was in the entertainment business for a while. And friends of friends uh, met at a party. Uh, she fell in love with me immediately, chased me across the country, and ultimately, uh, Two years later, we were married. Yeah, yeah. It was fast and furious. Yeah, I, um, I think they just want to know about you, but. No, but, <laughs> well, but um, how did we meet? Well, I think they want to know about me now. Yeah, for okay? sure. You bet. Okay. Um, I am, uh, how old am I? 45. I am from uh, Denver, Colorado, a suburb of Denver and went to Colorado State and then moved out to LA. And as you know, there's some mutual friends and some connections and we eventually got together ourselves. But um, I mean, what do I do? I uh, was in PR and marketing in Chicago before I became a stay-at-home mom for years. And now I've started my own business where I do flower pots for homes and businesses. and. It's a great way to get back to nature and get outside and do all the things that I love because um, I'm a Colorado girl at heart. And uh, so, yeah, that keeps me busy. And everything else, uh, this horse farm has been really fun. I love horses, love animals. Um, Can you guys tell us a story of how you met? We met through mutual friends that we had been friends a long time. He grew up in Chicago and I went to college with Chicago people. So met Al, but we did not get say much to each other that day. And then a year later, I re-met him at a party in LA, and I was like, hey, I know you. And 
like you said, it was um, love at first sight, I guess. But I lived in Africa at the time, and uh, we ended up touching base through email. I had sent an email to the friend that he's talking about saying, oh, Al's really cute. And she forwarded it to her boyfriend, Jamie. And Jamie forwarded it to Al, and he forwarded it back to me. We never even, like, exchanged information. We just had, like, thought each other was really cute. So it was pretty embarrassing at first that I got busted, uh, you know, saying how cute Al was. But it ended up starting a 24-7, like, conversation between the two of us on instant messenger, which was a thing back then. And then months later, I moved out to LA. We were engaged like nine months in, married exactly a year to that date. So it happened very fast. You know, it's interesting. We hear that a lot that, you know, you know, right away. We really fell in love over the internet. And I was working at a very office intense environment in California for uh, a talent agency. She was in Colorado and we were constantly messing each other back and forth. How long was it until you guys lived in the same area? Two months. Two months. But we saw each other every two weeks. She was a seasonal entertainment worker, uh, and she was on hiatus, right, for a TV show? Yeah, so I always knew I'd get back to L.A. I put all my stuff in storage and moved out to Aspen. I had a good opportunity out there. And then... uh, Three hiatus, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was working for Michael Lovitz at at a... CAA, Creative Artist Agency, as a talent agency program. And I was stuck to my desk every day. We were just literally AOL or Instant Messenger at the time. So uh, a couple weeks later, she said, let's go meet. And we met in, uh, where did we meet first? We go to Las Vegas. Vegas. We went to Las Vegas for a oh. group. There were like 30 of us going to Vegas. So we ended up I going was the only to, girl, though. We were, <laughs> no, no, we were, no, there was no. But we ended up kind of just avoiding the whole group and just being attached <laughs> to each other. And it was like no one was there besides her and I. What was it about the other person you fell in love with? I can speak to the fact that I hadn't had many serious relationships and was a little bit of a, I don't know, I don't want to say depressed person, but lonely. You know, I lived in a ski town, which can be very lonely and I don't know, I think my whole life I've had a little bit of trouble just keeping my spirits up. And um, he was awesome. He, we call him Alzac, like Prozac. He was like, instantly I was like a totally different person. And just he just made me so happy all the time. I just felt like the queen of the world. And it felt really, really good. Um, what he saw in me, I don't know. I look at old pictures and I'm like, geez, Louise. Uh, and an unhappy, you know, unhappy, heavier girl. I was like, oh my gosh. But yeah, whatever he saw, I guess my personality. <laughs> Your wonderful personality. My wonderful personality. You know, Ray, Jane, I'll tell you, I'll be selfish. Uh, my attraction was the way that Candace made me feel about myself. And that was a big part of being happy. So it was not only the physical, which I, I find my wife very beautiful, and the friendship, but she made myself feel more calm, more uh, at ease, just more comfortable in my own skin. So it, there was a selfish kind of feeling that she, I, I gave a lot, but I took a lot back in return. Made me a better person. That's sweet. And who <laughs> said I love you first? Oh, she did for sure. <laughs> I, think I, I think I've got it you know, on an AOL still printed up in my room. Oh, yeah. I think I used to write you, like, long, long letters and cards. And when we weren't even, like, living together, I was, like, yeah, telling was, you how much yeah, I loved you. So, sure. yeah, I, I'm sure it was me. I'm sure it was. How, how old were you guys when you met? Um, 25? We've, we've been married since 2-16-02, which brings us uh, February 16th. And then it was a year earlier we dated. I think I was 28 when I met you. Because we got married I was when 30. I was 27. I was 30 when I got married. You guys yeah. didn't get married on Valentine's Day. No, Valentine's Day weekend. We got we had Lover's Weekend. We got Lover's Week because it's... Uh, 16th, 17th, and 18th. We've it's got, like Valentine's Day week, and then we got married over President's Day weekend. So it tends to every year kind of spread out into like, you know, four or five days that we try to go somewhere or do something. Or We actually, really, we got married on Valentine's Day. You did? Ah. Can't what I, year? 98. Oh, okay. 
Candace really milked this thing for a little longer than it was. It's an anniversary. She got all President's Day weekend out of it. She got the, uh, he asked me to marry you deal. So she got three days out of this thing. Yeah, Valentine's Day, yeah. We, we may get a full-on week of Lover's, Lover's week. week. You bet. <laughs> How long were you guys together before you got engaged? About a full year. We did, we did, 12, we did 12 months, you know, the four seasons. And t- uh, tell us your engagement story. Oh, oh that's geez. a good one. So we lived in L.A., obviously, and, you know, going to Hawaii was pretty easy from there. Three-hour flight. So he um, invited me out there over President's Day weekend. He said, let's just go out for the weekend. And I didn't think anything of it. It had been like, you know, almost a year that we'd been dating. And So anyway, we get out there, and it's the most beautiful room. There's champagne waiting there, except I'm like, oh, they're so nice here. Like, I didn't. I mean, I was clueless. We call my wife Bubbles because she's not really into all the details. <laughs> not, not all the time, yeah. Uh, so anyway, we were going to a luau, supposedly. Luau. And we were walking down the beach. He had a backpack, and we were going to this luau. And I'm like, we were walking forever and ever. And I'm like, we're going to be late. Like, I had, like, time. Like, I'm like, we're late. Where is this thing? And I started to get really feisty and really upset that we were missing out on this luau. And I was like, I'm storming into this hotel. Like, I'm going to figure out where this thing is. And he grabs my arm and he turns me around. And he's down on one knee and he said, there is no luau. I love you. Will you marry me? And I was just like, I said, what? There's no luau? I, I said, <laughs> yeah. life is not a luau, Candace. Uh, I like to spend the rest of my life with you. Yeah. So, so anyway, it was awesome. And then little did I see as I was looking for a big luau, there was a table on the beach like you know linens and all that and fire around and the whales were breaching and it was like the most I had her romantic dinner <laughs> well there was no opportunity for her to go back in this one race it was yeah. a total setup because they hit job wow that's quite uh quite a setup there al i tell you man i'm professional right i haven't changed much since high school buddy <laughs> We got back to the hotel and there were, my parents had sent like Waterford champagne glasses and everybody knew, but me, I was like, it was very surprising, which is awesome. It made it all more special, you know? In what way is your guys' relationship similar or different from what you learned from your parents' as kids? We've had very different upbringings. I was adopted by my uh, stepfather now that uh, he adopted me when I was five. Al's had the same parents for you know, his 47 entire years. life. So, you know, different upbringings for sure. Yeah, I'm the only child. He's one of eight. I mean, I have a stepbrother who I was close to. We, um, but, you know, we didn't live together. He had eight siblings. So it's been uh, definitely very different lifestyles. And Candace married a whole tribe. I did. It was you overwhelming. Know, I, I got many brothers and sisters marrying Immediately. Out. You, you know, family. having seven brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and, a, you know, a chaotic upbringing in general. She was, uh, she just assimilated to the tribe. And she, you know, they say you marry your family. And she really had a, didn't have much of a chance. A choice there. <laughs> so how does your, your uh, relationship progress from there? Well, I know we, um, didn't want to stay married and didn't want to be married in LA because he was working as a talent agent and was working 12 hours a day. And if he was able to even invite somebody to a party or whatever, it'd have to be a client, you know, because people steal them all the time. And I felt like it would be very lonely for us to be there. We loved dating there and we thought it was really great, but we were so in love and wanting to spend time with each other that Staying in LA and working those jobs would not have been. Yeah, LA is no LA is no place for humans, especially people that are trying to start a family and being together and being married. It's it's history town, so you really gotta be. You know, there's a lot of different problems that that poses the lifestyle, just working hard and being away from each other. You know, your significant other is, is a plus one. At the end of the day, you know, and if you're out doing like an event, they, 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 they don't, they don't, they don't say, "Hey, come with your wife and your spouse, your significant other, or your, you know, to dinner." It's you know, you we have one seat, you're in that kind of scenario. And if I wasn't out five nights a week, you know, your competitors would be, and it just becomes a very difficult lifestyle to you know for successful marriages to occur. It's not an environment that's conducive for families. It's not. Okay. No. 
Not at all. I, and, you know. no. I mean, we yeah. love living there. Believe me, we miss it. We go back. We went back last Christmas with our son and, and had yeah. such a good time and reminisced about all the fun we've had there and all the scripts he dropped off. My son was like, okay, we know you dropped a script off to them. We got it. We got it. <laughs> but, uh, so it was very, very fun at the time. But then, so we picked up and we moved to Colorado, which is where I'm from. And they, uh, Denver at the time was like a ghost town. I ghost mean, town. It's nothing like it is today. I mean, that was 18 years ago. And it was very sleepy. And we moved to the heart of the party right by Coors Field and thought it was just going to be awesome. And it just didn't end up being yeah, I, I, I'm a big city guy, right? I mean, I came from Chicago. You know, I like to put my hand up. I like to grab a taxi. I was used to living in New York or Chicago, uh, and I lived in them both at the time. So to come back to a place that was tumbleweeds rolling on the ground, and there were people leaving on a Friday afternoon to go up the mountain. You know, this, the town kind of shut down. There was no density, no buildings in the downtown, really. It was still kind of emerging as a as a community, as a downtown or a metro, you know, MSA. Uh, I have an office in Denver now, so I'm there all the time, but it was definitely not the same city that we had, you know, had, had courted and, and you know, were engaged in and ended up getting married in. It was definitely a small town environment, which I wasn't ready to really. I do. think every time we came back to Chicago, we had so much fun and I never grew up in a big city and, and being on the lake, it was awesome. I was a mountain girl, so it was a whole different fun world for me and all his friends were awesome and it was just that midwestern vibe that was it, just it, really fun so we we, it, we loved it here more than we ended up loving there so we broke like the news to my parents it broke their heart because they were so happy to have us there but um we just had to you know it, do it, something different in business wise too it was you know i'm from a big family raised you know uh with a lot of connections and family members and cousins i've got 150 cousins within a you know 10 15 mile radius from here. So professionally, I think that there are more opportunities that were obtainable here in the, the greater Chicago area. Whereas in, in, in LA, where I was you know emerging myself and developing my own name, Colorado, I was knocking on doors, redoing it. Here, I was able to leverage a stable context that increased my likelihood of success professionally. So, and, how long did you stay in Denver before you came to Chicago? One year. A year? Mm -hmm. Full year. Yeah. So you, you guys created a life around your relationship. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, no, it's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely did. And then, you know, we were, we moved when it made sense for us, you know, and it was, we we're partners in this deal. Uh, you know, whether it's sometimes there's, high highs and sometimes there's low lows, but we're partners in the deal. We need to find a common ground and, you know, just whatever's best for the two of us, we've done. And now we've got a child, we've got a 12 year old. And also, you're, I mean, your parents were, were older than mine and it made sense to yeah. what you thought were the golden years back then. It's been forever. He thought, I you we know, were, but yeah, they're I mean, hanging on. So. I thought we were coming back to the glory years too. Yeah, you know, just to be with his family and, and spend some time with them. Uh, and My dad's 84 now and he was, you know, beginning to fade. My mom was beginning to fade. And at the end of the day, they've uh, managed to stick around a little longer than we thought they, they would. Uh, but we wanted to be here to enjoy them. You know, her parents were older and we know that we'll have that run younger. as well. They younger. 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 So we'll have that opportunity to glory years with them. But what we had anticipated being a, short, a, lot, a shorter time frame was a longer time frame. Thank God. Now, the two of you have gone through a pretty big challenge just recently. And I'm wondering if you would want to be able to talk about that story and kind of what happened. Sure. Um, yeah. So I was... Why don't, you, why don't you start just being in Colorado? Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. yeah. So I went out to Vail. We have a small place out there um, with, with supposed to be a few girlfriends, but I got out there earlier than them. And this is when this whole news broke out about the coronavirus. And March 15th, I was there March 11th through the 16th. So March 11th, we're out there, we're having a good time. We were skiing on the 12th, the 13th, but we're skiing on the 12th. By the 13th, there were signs that said, stay, stay a ski length apart. 
And the mountain was not crowded at all at that time. And we were waiting in line forever for the gondola one morning. And I was like, what is going on? And they were literally putting everybody in their own gondola if they wanted to be. You know, that, and I was just like, I, I still felt like I was living in this bubble because I was not watching the news. I was out there with one girlfriend and, you know, the other two decided not to come. But I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. We're all having a great time here. Um, I was just very unaware of what was kind of unfolding in the world. But anyway, she, my one friend left and, and then I was alone the next couple of days and I didn't feel the need to like, bother the airlines to change my flight or, you know, I already had this flight on Monday. So, um, I kept it, but I didn't, I didn't leave, but the whole town shut down. I mean, the map, they shut down the mountain. It was so weird. It was a bluebird ski day and not a single person on the hill. Like we look out at the mountain and I was like, this is creepy. It was really weird. So it started to get very real for me as I was talking to Al and, um, but I, you know, I stayed, I, kept my original flight I he wanted me to come but on the flip side I was in Florida with my yeah. son and I was sitting with my parents and I was um, I'm an internet junkie you know I like information I'm always up to date you know fault me for checking my phone too much I'm just it's you know a student of what the current situation was and I was like oh my god like this is coming down the pipeline they're gonna have a quarantine and I, I, I was with my parents in Florida I had just been at a convention with 350 people and the opening speaker says, shake hands if you want, I'm going to. So it was putting in a perspective of the real estate deal that, you know, we're social gregarious people by trade. So I come home and I said, Candace, you, you got to get your ass home. No, you, you wanted I, me to come I, to I, I wanted to come to her to come Florida. But then I said, we've got to be together in one place because if this goes into quarantine and, and we are really become sheltered in place. Right now, I'm in Florida with my 85-year-old parents. You are in Vail by yourself. Like you need to pay attention. This is getting real. But you are and very, I very insistent. Like you need to get home. My concern was that the planes weren't going to fly. But you were very adamant that being in Florida was the best place because of the heat, and and he was really also in a bubble because Florida people were really not shutting down at that point. I mean, they were literally out on the golf course. They were. He's like, this is the best place for us to be. Get we'll, down here. We'll have Forget. a great time. We'll be on the beach. Like it'll be nice. And the virus doesn't like the sunshine, so I think we're going to be safer here. And it, it literally, for 24 hours before I, I changed she my booked flight. It. She booked a flight to Florida. I booked my flight through Chicago. But it drove me crazy thinking about coming down to his 85-year-old parents and how I just, and, and if we were quarantined in there, and I just, I hadn't been home, and I was starting to get a little bit anxious about my dog, about just being home, if we were going to be quarantined. It started to get very, very real for me. And I got to the airport and I said, I'm not coming to Florida. I can't. You didn't want to put his parents at risk. Yes. yes. I was, that was literally the main reason. I was like, if I get sick, I'm not going to be responsible for Infecting. getting your parents sick and they probably won't make it. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's very scary. So, and now it, knowing what you um, know, <laughs> so my gut, like, trust your gut, right? It was, and on the flip side, I was with my parents and I'd just gone and I went shopping for them. I went out to Publix and I got, you know, it's not, my sister did a fabulous job, but I went there and I grabbed everything I could for them. And all of a sudden she's like, all right, I'm coming home. And I said, I wanted to talk to my dad. And I said, I got to be with my wife and son. You know, like, if you guys are here, that's great. You're going to be okay. You've got a caregiver here, but I need to be with my wife in case she is sick. God forbid. And, you know, just, we just need to be in the same, under the same roof in case we get stuck here. So we both ended up coming home within hours of each other. Uh, her from Colorado on a direct flight, luckily, and me from Palm Beach, Florida, on a direct flight with my son. We were lucky enough to get bumped up to first class. I had some miles, so we sat there with masks on our face, and were, you know the plane was basically the the last exiters out of Florida to Chicago. What day was uh, that? Huh? That was the 16th. 16th. It was the 16th? March, yeah. The Monday, I think it was. Monday, March but, 16th. I remember we, the calendar. But we long. were, man, we were masked up. We were, you know, hey, we're getting the hell out of here. Don't breathe. And there's no way in hell we're checking bags. 
type scenario. You wanted um, me to leave all of my stuff in Colorado. I said leave everything. Straight Who out cares? of the airport. Walk like, straight I out. You don't know who's got this. You may be in Uber. He may be sick. You don't want to be sitting around waiting to get a check bag. You know, you can get all that stuff later. So just get out and be, protect yourself. We'll see you at home. Now, Candace, did you feel sick at this time? No. So, no, not at all. I felt fine. Um, and who knows? I mean, Vail was a real hot spot for this virus breaking out. Um, but, you know, I did get on a plane. I did get into an Uber. Um, but I'm going to guess that it was probably being in Vail because there was a very big outbreak there. And, you know, it takes a few days, I think, from what I understand. It was a gestation, you know. So, But also, in my opinion, she got it on the gondola. And oh. being in the gondola with 10 strangers for 15 minutes, breathing the same air with little circulation, and, you know, being huffing and puffing because you're skiing, high altitude, you're basically recirculating the air. And, and chair, I mean, chair lifts, you're chair. like talking to me. I don't know. Because I went the week before, and I didn't get it to the same area. But we didn't have any chair. We were on chair lifts. So to be in an incubator, I thought, hey, that has to be the reason that she got it, you know, um, which was scary, you know, just in general mm-hmm. for that, that the, the contagion. Yeah. So then Tuesday, this is interesting, but I, I made a, a beef stew, and that night we had – um, I took my first bite and I literally like couldn't swallow it. Like I, it was stuck in my throat. Like, and it was very scary. I tried. My wife's a great cook, as you can tell. For hours to get it out, and and I was starting to have a panic attack, and I like panicked myself into sleep and woke up, and it still hadn't gone down my throat. So I could breathe, but like it just my throat was closing up. You know, I could t- like something was weird. So emergency endoscopy like had to knock me out get this meat out of me it was so you put a tube down so and put weird in her stomach wow. and i after that i was super like achy and and felt awful and i was like it's because of this procedure like i don't know what happened i didn't ever think that it was the virus at that point i was like i just didn't chew my food or something i don't know and so but from there i just didn't recover and i got started getting really like unbearable headaches, like pinpoints. Well, they, like, like, let's back up one second. At that time, we came home and we said, hey, listen, we've got this property up in the woods, you know, theoretically. So why don't we quarantine there? We're going to be stuck in here. I We had gone and bought some provisions and all these different things. And I said, if we're going to be sheltering in place, let's go remotely where we've got a bigger cage, right? A bigger area. We walk outdoors. Everything was great. Candace's parents were in Mexico, and they're here with us now. But they needed a place to shelter in place. And they said, hey, we're sitting in Playa del Carmen. And all of a sudden, you know, if the water goes south, you know, if the Mexican, if the, the hospitals come, it comes down here, they're not national citizens. You know, so they would be kind of lower on the totem pole. So they came up here. We went up there. And then. Well, yeah, during that whole process, though, I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling Good. I mean, I was just very achy. I had this pain in my um, left shoulder, like somebody was like stabbing me with like just something very hard, like just banging on me. My head. I I was like literally in a little ball for like three days. I was in so much pain, and finally I was like, "You have to take me to the hospital." Like I, it, it, we had been in touch. I had, yeah. I had other physical conditions, you know. Um, so I have a doctor that I go to on a regular basis that was able to have a phone consultation with her. And she, he had said, you know, don't bring her to the hospital right now. If there's any chance in hell you can avoid it. You do not want to be in a hospital. We had told her we had given her Tylenol, told her, you know, he had given us some suggestions and we had a heat pad and trying to just keep her quarantined from going into a, a COVID potential place. Yeah, but it, was, but, but it wasn't confirmed at this point that it was oh, COVID. No, I was just, I was, I, I literally could not, my brain felt like it was about to explode. I, was, I wasn't coughing, I wasn't, I didn't have a fever, nothing. I just literally, my body hurt so badly that I just needed some relief. Your, I didn't know what to do. It was like three days of like, like I wanted to bang my head against the wall. We were, like we, this. we were, we were, you know, we were drugging her, giving her melatonin, making sure the Tylenol that she was okay. Finally, the doctor said, 
go bring her to the hospital, but you know, don't go in. So my son, Spencer, my 12-year-old, and I went to Conville on Libertyville in Milwaukee. And we literally sat outside and, said, and he said, go first thing in the morning. So at like <laughs> 7 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, right? Yeah, I don't know. This is all like a blur to me. 7 o'clock in the morning really on a Sunday. My son and I dropped her off. And we said, all right, call us when you think you're so done. <laughs> so sad, you but know? We, but like, there, yeah. there, there was no chance in hell I was going in. No. Because if I was going to be contaminated by walking into a COVID positive place, I couldn't take care. I wouldn't have to take care of my son. And, you know, someone had to be there to take care of her on the flip side as well as my boy. So four hours later, we went home at that point. We hadn't been home in a couple of days. And my son and I, I said, you take a shower because there's well water up there. And we wanted hot water. And he said, hey, you know, just... Just take a shower, grab a bunch of clothes, everything you need for like another 10 days. Like, we don't know what's gonna happen. So we grabbed everything, we stopped by my sister's house, we, we social distanced this way, you know, kind of shed some tears to some glasses. And um, came back and my wife was discharged at noon and we were waiting for her. And she came out and they gave you a pneumonia test and she had tested positive for pneumonia. Her white blood cell count was extremely low. She had headaches. Uh, there was another condition too. Fever had no fever, no, no fever, cough. No fever. Your white blood, her white blood cell count was extremely low. That that yeah. indicated that I probably had the virus to the doctor, but they wouldn't test me at the hospital because the they weren't available. They were they, they wanted to use them for more important people. First responders, you know, with, first responders, yeah. and they needed people that demonstrate. She was asymptomatic. So she didn't have the coughs, she didn't have the fever, but they said you've got it basically. But we can't pass, can't we can't get, get your test approved. Yeah. So we sent that information on to so, our doctor. So, yeah. so, so our doc, my primary, which is now Candace's primary too, as a result, was able had a working relationship with one of the hospitals, and he I texted her tests, and he said, "Hey, let me get back to you in a few minutes." You know, two few minutes or a couple hours, and he goes, "Hey, man, she's got it. Like I can tell you right now that she has it." And you know what I'll say is that my wife is an early adopter of the COVID virus. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was had it before anybody else had it really locally. So when we brought her, to, when we got the results back, my doctor basically got in a fight with the the people here at a local hospital. And was able to overturn their local designation. Well, to say, we went in to get another. He said, "Go in and get a test." This place, they said no there too. I left like just it, completely it, distraught. It was awful. So she was awful. She was in shock. I was. It was. And awful. Was basically, what happened was I, I'm going to tell this part. I vividly remember it, and I was fighting and screaming on the phones with the doctor. We walked into the hospital system. Uh, in Gurney, that was a testing facility, and they basically said, the doctor said, go get a test there, and he said, I, I called you ahead to get a test, basically. And we got there, and the administrative people said, you don't qualify for a test. You don't qualify for a test. I said, well, we've got this doctor who's called. He's talked to the head of the program. They read our test results, her test results. They believe she's positive. They said, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't meet the criteria. And at this point, we were talking via cell phone in the lobby, with masks on. And they were texting us back and forth saying, come in the car, you're in the car, come in the lobby. Now it's, you're walking into a very hostile COVID testing facility. There's confirmed cases of COVID here. We are a state of an Illinois, you know, verified system place. If you come in here, you are risking your life by getting the test. And she was wow. not happy when she finally gave it to us, like at all. She was She was like, you, you, you guys don't deserve a test. Yeah, so. Which I get. I mean, she wasn't sure. She was asymptomatic and she wasn't showing the symptoms yet. So we were fortunate enough to get a test. And the doctor said, You guys all three are getting them because we think she's positive and you two are living with her for the past week. So we were tested. And then he said, Two days later, they would call us. So we went home and there were some things that the doctor had said, like, Go get a pulse ox, which is a instrument you put on your finger, which monitors the oxygen in your blood. And that was a very big indicator of watching the disease progress. 
And if you had a lesser oxygen level and it got down to a certain point, you need to be on a respirator. And this is as the virus was evolving and the information was evolving about how to take care of the doc, how to take care of somebody. So the next night, we kind of left. We were like, all right, let's give her some, you know, we medicated her. She slept. She was isolated in the room. They gave me, no, what they gave me, what they said to do is take a Tylenol and a Benadryl. And that actually did. That that was the only medication that I got. So that no, they was, gave you two other things. They gave you an, an ammonia medicine. They gave you something else that was bad for your calf. And the the doctor oh, that I didn't take. They, the doctor you took one of them for nausea, maybe. And yeah, then the doctor really called oh, the I next was very day. Nauseous. Yeah. He said, "You, you, you and your sons are are negative." He said, "They've already ran it through. You've already been negative. But they're not sure about cannabis yet." So. Give me a day or two. And my doctor had known the results before the before he called. And he called us up a week on a Skype and he said, Your wife is for cannabis, you're positive. Effective immediately, you need to go upstairs and be in double quarantined. Uh, masks and gloves, no leaving the room. Um, you know. Super sad. What was Super- what was that like for you, Candace, hearing that? It was sad. I just burst into tears again. I was like, This is Horrible! I could cry right now about it. Like it's, it was just very lonely. That's what they want you to do. They want I you know. To I know. I'm, I'm a, yeah. I'm no, no, it was sad. It was very. It was hard to hear. You know. It, it was more than sad. It was brutal. You know. I mean, because one, you're talking to your loved one with a mask on, so your your face is hidden. You're only having eye contact. You didn't know at that point. We didn't know the progression of the of the disease. Yeah, it was sc- you just the unknown is really scary. So they would have to set like there was a table outside of my door, and they would set. He would give me vitamin the emergency a couple times a day. We took emergency like two three times a day because if I said vit- and, you know you're following all the news, I said vitamin C is. Good I didn't have C. a TV though in my room or anything. I just slept. It was weird. I never watched TV until I was through with all of this, and that got even worse. I was like, wow. They're really scaring people. This is really a big deal. So I was even kind of in the dark during that whole thing. And then when I turned on the news, I was like, oh, I can't stomach this. This is really tough. But- did, did your symptoms get worse or did they stay pretty consistent? My pulse was always okay. I never got a fever. I just, um, I couldn't, I felt like I had like a ton of bricks on my chest. Like someone was sitting on your chest. Yeah, I just, I could barely breathe. But, um, very tight. And I still feel like I'm, I, I like to run and work out and I still feel like I cannot catch my breath. Like it's, it's been difficult. I don't know if that's just being out of shape or if that has anything to do with this virus, but they do say that it could have some long-term effects on your lungs, which is scary. We're scuba divers and they say you have to get a different um, physical and stuff now before you go scuba diving you've had this virus because they have no idea how it's going to affect you like underwater oh wow so, yeah terrifying um it was terrifying though i mean it was you know bringing food up talking through masks you know and your eyes are swollen from you know crying and whatnot it was brutal yeah it was absolutely brutal how many days were you in isolation 14 14 no she was isolated in her bedroom in her bedroom for 10 days. For 10 days, yeah. And, and then, then I, I called the doctor and said, hey, man, this is just, this is getting ridiculous. It said, uh, we're living in the same roof. We're living in a 6,000 square foot facility. You know, we've got plenty of room here. Uh, it's open air. And, you know, I, it's, it felt like you're punishing your spouse, you know, and, and, and she was getting better. And then finally, the doctor said, all right, you can let her out of the room. Don't sleep in the same room. I'm sleeping in the room with my son or on the couch. And I'm checking on my wife every half hour in the middle of the night, you know, because you're kind of like, all right, she's sleeping like a little baby. Uh-huh. But you don't know if she's going to wake up, right? So you kind of go up and you pull her, make sure that her, that she's still alive and waking her up and say, take some more medicine now to get ahead of the pain. You know, so, but you got gloves and a mask on and you're in the room and it was like, oh shit, we don't know what's going on. We don't know the course of the virus. And it was so, I mean, she was such an early adopter, and I mean that, that we didn't know what was going on and, and what was going to get worse and worse. You just didn't, you had that fear. Like, I mean, I ordered a baby monitor because I wanted to be able to hear her, 
you know, at night. Did you set that up? No, Rich, Richard, my brother Richard got it because at this point, Amazon started getting overfilled. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going out, you know, once a day and, you know, masks and gloves and hanging it's, out. It's all such a blur to me. I mean, literally looking back, I was just like in days. How was your, your son taking all of this? Incredibly well. He was such a, you know, I think I said in one of my posts that, uh, we did something well. We did, we did something right. We raised a great kid. You know, he was in stride. He um, didn't have any panic attacks or anything like that. He, he knew she was sick. He, uh, at that point, all the electronic rules go off the table, right? Hey, you don't want to play a drive pad? Here you go, man. Why don't you marry the thing? You know I mean? <laughs> when it was making sure that my son was isolated in his, in his room while my wife was isolated in that room, trying to play three ring circus like you know and playing apparently you know the circus master because you're trying to make sure everybody's separated you don't want her to infect him him to him to get you know you got to make sure people are eating you got to make sure they're entertained Spence was entertained he was extremely well gracious you know wonderful little man yeah you did good though you guys both they were both so wonderful what was it like for you when you came out of that room oh heaven I was like I walked around, I, you know, I was trying to keep people, you know, and, and give them information over Facebook about how I was feeling. So I remember doing that first post, like, out of the room, and I was walking, I had a mask and everything on, but I just felt like everybody w- was so curious as to know what was going on. And so I tried to give them a little bit of information about how I was feeling and 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 what have you, and then um, you know, a few I, days later I got... I, got I definitely disseminated information and I'll write through or Facebook of what the day-to-day occurrences were. It was more of a PSA is what, because again, I think we were early adopters and we had great health care and great guidance and we were able to talk to doctors immediately and um, we were, she was ahead of the curve, you know, she was ahead of the curve of getting it. And, uh, it feels good, but I have to say though, um, I felt like I had the plague a little bit to people, you know, like I felt even my son was like, he ran into a friend and, and they, the friend just kind of was like blind stare, terrified, you know, and he's, and then, you know, I called myself Corona Candace for like, he's like, Corona, I'm like, Corona Candace is like terrifying my friends, you know, and, and I'm terrified and I go, I get it. And I wrote a little article for our, you know, local publication, and they wanted to say in the beginning in the editor's note about me doing this while I was sick. And I was like, no, this is just, again, bringing attention, which I was totally open about. But again, it literally was like, okay, you are like, you have the plague. I did not realize like so many people had gotten it kind of in the air. I didn't, again, it, I wasn't. It the hasn't dark. been very public around here who's got it, who hasn't got it. Yeah. Right. But it's- Go to the CDC form and you say, you know, you fill in your zip code. We live in, in a small town, like 2,500. There's 60 cases of it. Wow. You know, right. you just Google 60043, you'll see, you know, it's public stats, right? They're confirmed tests. But I think it's obviously her health is overcoming it. And, and, and that's not something I ever concern myself with, to be honest. I mean, I'm happy to have been able to share that information. And now... I have had the antibody tests and all that, and now I feel like the safest person in the world to be around. And everybody that wants to treat me like I have the plague, they're just being ignorant, you know? So it's fine. Everything always works itself out, you know, socially, but um, at first it was it was sad. Now she's in the process of delivering plasma. You know, we're trying to get her enrolled into that program, uh, but there is some paperwork that we can't find, of all things that would help her go through the process a little quicker. So we're working on it, but I'm definitely excited to be able to do that, you know? Be part of the solution. Yeah. You know. Would you say this is probably one of the biggest challenges the two of you have faced together in your relationship? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, marriage is, it's a, it's, it's an interesting journey. So we've had some highs and lows like everybody, um, but whatever we've gone through has brought us out stronger and you know happier and more appreciative of each other and i think that's been the thing for us is appreciating each other you know more so 
I'm definitely grateful for these guys. And yeah, this is going to sound odd, but this whole quarantine isolation process, I think, has brought people a little more humanity to people. And, you know, the, the distancing that we had as society, I think, is making people more kinder, gentler people toward each other. There's compassion. And, you know, we're going to see, they're going to see a lot of new norms. And they're going to look a lot different. And there's going to be social distancing, and there's going to be masks. There's not going to be handshakes. There's going to be eye contact. There's going to be more than it's ever meant any time before, you know, in, in life. And people are going to work alternate schedules. There's going to be a new norm as a result of this. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the society evolves. And, and we were laughing about the uh, divorce lawyers really making a – We've actually seen kind of two polar opposite effects, you know, with couples that, you know, couples who are doing the work and, you know, their relationship and improving the relationship feel closer together going through this. And then couples who were struggling, you know, before going into this, they're actually it, it really drove a wedge between them. That was a, it's a lot greater now. Yeah, it's interesting. We've started with new clients, right, during this process. So it's all virtual. So we, we're working with a couple who's in quarantine together who are trying to work on the relationship. And it, it makes it way more intense because you don't, there's no distance, there's no distraction. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. A lot of time together. And we, you know, he has always had a problem even on the weekend entertaining himself at home. He, he wants to be doing stuff. And there's plenty of projects to be done around here, but thank goodness we were up at our farm and there was tons of stuff to do and he's kept himself very busy and I think that's definitely helped us not, you know, bigger at each other. But um, And it's and been I, fun. It's kept him happy and entertained and we've had a really good time up there and it's actually been I, I, I think tolerance right now is key, you know, for anybody living in isolation. Whether it's with your son, whether it's your wife, your spouse, your in-laws, whatever it is, is that you really need to be able to let things be less impactful, you know, and just say, ah, F it. You know what? We're all under quarantine. We're all on the same roof. It is what it is. Kid wants to play on the internet. This sounds silly, too, and I'm not using it as a crutch, but the social interaction with these kids now is, you know, is key. And I had to be a parent, like a mean parent the other day. And there had some kids that were congregating a little bit together. I had to say, listen, guys, you don't have a mask on. You're too close. You can't have this interaction. Like, you know, kids should be playing with kids right now. Mm. There's humanity. And I had to be a bad guy. I said, you guys know I'm like the funnest guy in the block. You know, and I, you know I've had these kids in our house many, many, many Friday nights. And they're playing video games. They're all being together. But now this distance is creating these online communities and these kids are playing games. And how can you punish somebody for being on the internet too long when they got 10 of their friends playing Fortnite, right? At least they're involving and they're talking to each other if it's in some form or fashion versus being isolated in a room. You know, I've got a lot of folks that I work with that I'm concerned about, you know, they don't have the three people in their house to have an interaction with. They're sitting in a you know, like in your basement by themselves. No, you know, that those are guys I worry about. Yeah, we, we do too. And we're, you know, we work with people who are single and living alone and quarantine alone. And yeah, those, those challenges are, are very difficult for them. You know, this, this um, global pandemic um, has hit everybody across the board, right? It wasn't, it's not something, it's a great equalizer, as I've said in past podcasts. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter their status. You know, it affects us all in our relationships, our finance, career, you know, and it really puts things into perspective as far as what is truly important. And, and so we see this as kind of a great opportunity, you know, coming out of this, being able to take a look at our relationships from a very different, you know, perspective, one of more appreciation. So last question. What is it that your partner does that you know they love you? <laughs> oh my gosh, where do I start? That sounds good. Idea. <laughs> yeah. um, I think Al is a great provider, and he's uh, very generous, and he 
cooks meals a lot more than I do and, uh, you know, is always out there trying to create fun for us and give us a wonderful life. And as much as it's hard to show that appreciation that you really see all those wonderful things and why your life is so wonderful, I know he's out there doing it every day, getting up, going to work, um, you know, busting his butt to just make us, you know, the best family we can be. So I do see all the little things he does, but um, I'm not sure what he sees in me. <laughs> what don't I see? In I know, okay. No, I, uh, I've got my best friend here. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's been interesting, you know, the the whole process, the whole intensity of it is, it's, you know, made each other better and stronger, um, more appreciative. Uh, you know, my wife's sense of humor continues to make me laugh. Her care for our son continues to make me, you know, excited to be part of with this relationship. You know, and you look back and you say, wow, you know, you spent 20 something years with somebody. And I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't have changed a thing, you know. So it's been a very meaningful relationship, obviously, the most meaningful I've had. So that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I think it's interesting, Candace, and you said this a few times that you don't know what he sees in you. And I think that as women, what we're told is supposed to be valuable about us is not what men find valuable about us. And it is that that connection. And I feel the same way, you know, like. Why are you here? You know, <laughs> but it, it always comes back to he says the same thing. You know, you're you're my person, and I I wouldn't be in this world if you weren't my person. It would not be a fun thing to to go through, and it's I think it's so weird for women to actually believe that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, right? Yeah, of our insecurities, which maybe last a lifetime. I don't know. Yeah, we're partners in crime. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right or die. You got to love We can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Well, Al and Candice, we want to thank you so much for being on our podcast today. And thank you for, you know, telling your story. You know, human beings have been sharing stories since the beginning of time to bond and heal and grow. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Thank you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I want to thank all of you for listening to Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive that is scheduled for this October, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who can benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.